is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Indigenous Peoples Day, I think Trump just announced, Trump, excuse me, Biden just announced that they're going to have Indigenous Peoples Day. I don't know if it's today, I don't know if it's Monday. Isn't Monday Columbus Day, Mr. Producer? I think it is. And I believe we're all supposed to hate Christopher Columbus, aren't we? I think so. Indigenous Peoples Day. Hmm, interesting. And the president, uh, of course, talked about uh, so many of the horrors that, uh, that have occurred in this country. Why is it that he and his party focus on all the negatives? Why is that? I'm quite serious about this. Now, when I hear him talk about Indigenous Peoples Day. How come he doesn't talk that way when it comes to the Middle East, Indigenous Peoples Day? How come he doesn't talk that way when it comes to the Jewish people in Israel? How come he doesn't talk that way when it comes to Judea and Samaria, which are not the West Bank of Jordan and never were? They belong to the Indigenous Peoples. And no, the Palestinians were not there. Isn't it shocking? They've been there for less than 200 years. No, the indigenous people there have been there like 4,000 years, the Jews. So why doesn't he recognize the indigenous peoples there? Uh, Because politically, it just doesn't work for him. That's why. Because he's an idiot. That's the other reason why. Indigenous Peoples Day. This is our uniter. This is the man that's uniting the country. The unemployment rate went down, and he's very, very excited about this. Very, very excited. The unemployment rate went down because more people are out of the workforce. That's why the unemployment number went down. So, you know, if we had a million people break out of the workforce, we'd have like 2% unemployment. Now, they're still blaming the virus. No, actually, we can blame their mandate policies because people are being fired. 
We can also blame their uh, welfare policies, paying people not to work. We can also blame what's over the horizon. God forbid if these leftists get their way. So uh, people are not expanding their businesses. They're not investing in R&D as they typically would. And, of course, we have economic dislocation occurring everywhere, particularly with inflation driving up the cost of everything. And this is the Biden economy. Remember how he used to mock Ronald Reagan and trickle-down economics? Trickle-down economics resulted in over 20 million jobs created, the greatest economic explosion in American history. It even went all the way through the Clinton administration, which took credit for creating jobs and a balanced budget, which, of course, it had almost nothing to do with. In fact, the Reagan economic revolution grew the American economy by 25%. 25%. About the size of Germany. Because he slashed taxes, he slashed regulations. Trump did much the same thing. And then the virus intervenes, and then we're recovering. And then here we go. Big spending, massive borrowing, $1.9 trillion printed up to fight the virus. vast majority of it didn't go anywhere near fighting the virus. It subsidized big government, our cities and our states. And yet Joe Biden gets to the microphone today. And praises us. We're making great progress, he says. Cut one, go. For the first time since March of 2020, the American unemployment rate is below 5%. In just eight months since I became president, in the midst of a grave public health and economic crisis, the unemployment rate is now down below 5% at 4.8%. See how they, how they play? See how they play? The unemployment rate is now down below 5% for the first time in his presidency. Because people are not looking for jobs. They've opted out of the economy and into the welfare state. I wonder what the unemployment is in North Korea. Probably one-tenth of 1%. But people are starving to death. Go ahead. Let me just repeat that. Today's report has the unemployment rate down to 4.8%. Just in case you missed his propaganda, he regurgitates it again. Phlegm and all. Go ahead. Significant improvement from when I took office and a sign that our recovery is moving forward, even in the face of a COVID pandemic. No, there were supposed to be about half a million new jobs created. There were less than 200,000. But he's happy with this, folks. He's happy with it. He's happy with the inflation. He's happy with the price of food and gasoline. Happy with the open border. Happy with the massive debt. He thinks this is all swell. Happy that we moved out of uh, Afghanistan the way we did, with American citizens still there, of which he never speaks, not a word. He's taken sanctions off two missile companies in Iran uh, so that they can get to their nuclear missiles faster. Did you know that? He did that today. Trump put the sanctions on, he took them off. It's like everything wrong is what this guy does. And the frauds and fools and Marxists who surround him. Go ahead. That improvement was widespread. Unemployment for Hispanic workers was down. And the unemployment rate for African Americans fell almost a full percent. And it's now below... Unemployment rate, ladies and gentlemen, the rate. 
How many people are we talking about? He doesn't say. He doesn't say. Again, people have left the workforce. That's why the numbers are down. Go ahead. First time in 17 months, a drop of 496,000 in long-term unemployment is the second largest single month. The reason it's been dropped is because the extension in many states were eliminated and now has been eliminated altogether. That's why it's dropped. Because people aren't on unemployment anymore because they can't be. Go ahead. Started keeping records. The largest was in July. So in the past three months, we've seen a drop of 1.3 million long-term unemployed. That's the largest three months fall in long-term unemployment since we started keeping records in 1948. More to do, but great progress. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The people who sit down and write these big lies and write this propaganda. It's just shocking. He wants you to believe there's record-breaking growth, record-breaking employment. It's a lie. The whole thing is a lie. Back to go. Remember, today's report is based on a survey that was taken during the week of September the 13th. Not, not, not today, September the 13th, when COVID cases were averaging more than 150,000 per day. Since then, we've seen the daily cases fall <clears throat> by more than one-third, and they're continuing to trend down. We're continuing to make... The cases progress. are falling particularly significantly in Florida and Texas. Did you know that, America? They're stubbornly high in several little blue states. You notice he didn't call out DeSantis or Abbott today. Because, again, the numbers are dropping significantly in Florida and Texas. Now, on the one hand, he complains. 150,000 per day. COVID cases were averaging... In September 13th, his, his implication is we're actually doing better today than we were even a few weeks ago. On the other hand, he's the president of the United States. So if there were 150,000 per day, he would be blaming Donald Trump. This is the dumbest comment about a very poor jobs report I've ever heard. It's the dumbest propaganda put together by a few low IQ fools on the speech staff. Everybody knows this was a crap report. Everybody knows. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. By the way, this Sunday, fantastic life, liberty, and Levin. I'm not kidding. 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't watch it live, I hope you'll DVR it. My guests are Senator Josh Hawley and Christopher Rufo. And we're going to spend the entire hour unraveling the attack on parents, taxpayers, the attack on free speech. And we're going to focus very heavily on what the Justice Department and the White House have done and are doing. So please don't miss it. That's Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern Time this Sunday. Uh, It's going to be a fantastic show. Trust me on this. Matt Egan is apparently the CNN reporter on CNN that handles a lot of business and White House reporting. And um, it seems like only Joe Biden thinks that this was a fantastic jobs report. Cut five, go. It definitely was a complex report, and a lot of that was because of the Delta variant and the reopening of the economy. Uh, But that means there's kind of something for everyone here in terms of the positives and the negatives. Now, clearly, the big negative is the fact that the economy added just 194,000 jobs last month. That is less than half of what economists have been anticipating. And as you can see, you know, there was a surge in hiring this summer, uh, but that has clearly faded big time. This was actually the worst job gain of the entire year. And so that means the U.S. economy is still down 5 million jobs during the pandemic uh, that is you know that's disappointing no you don't understand that's progress in Biden's world big progress and boy if they get what they want imagine what that will look like representative Mikey Sherrill Democrat New Jersey on MSNBC today cut for a go you know you were talking about the jobs numbers Something that no one seems to be talking about, and I didn't hear it from your panel, is how bad those jobs numbers were for women. Yeah. We have seen again and again and again how bad our jobs numbers are for women. And I have heard the same thing that your panelists kind of alluded to from people in my district, employers who can't find a place. Oh, people are being paid to stay home. And I said, well, that ends, right? That ended in September. But let's see. Because I have to tell you, I'm a mom of four kids, and the, the child care hits that families are facing across this nation are going to make it hard for working parents to get back to work. And You know, you know I'm so tired of hearing this. Like, this is the only generation of women with children who work. My wife worked, has a long, illustrious career while she was raising children. My mother worked a wonderful career, too, while she was raising three boys. My mother's mother, my grandmother, worked. She was a single mom. She was raising two daughters, and she owned a bar, and she worked full-time. What is it with this generation? What is it with this generation? That women aren't going to be able to get back to work unless they have child care? I'm sorry. I'm not buying that, and I'm tired of hearing about it. 
Now, um, it's my job and your job to subsidize child care for people so they can go work. Seems to me we're getting awfully soft here. That's not what Americans have done throughout our history. And that's an excuse. We didn't have child care a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, seven years ago. These numbers are bad. They're very bad because of the spending and all the economic indicators. You have huge inflation. You have economic dislocation. You're now seeing shortages of everything as if we're the third world. This is what happens. You raise the price of gasoline and natural gas and oil when you choke off the American oil industry. This is what happens when you go into a Marxist fantasy land. You get shortages. You get economic dislocation. You get inflation and recession. This is exactly what happens. And you can't spend your way out of it. The more you spend, the bigger the hole you dig. That's the truth. Now, you remember, prior to the virus, all the records that Trump was setting. With employment for women, employment for blacks, employment for Hispanics, employment for Asians, employment for all Americans. And the Democrats voted against his economic plan. They voted against it. This they support. You want to create poverty? You want to create economic downturns? You want to weaken the currency, which means your take-home pay is less as your bills get more and more expensive, then vote Democrat. Because this is what they do. I've said over and over again, when you kill the golden goose, you don't get any golden eggs anymore. And that's the truth. So these economic numbers are terrible. The inflation number is terrible. The price of goods and services going way up. Basics for the American people going way up. And this is the guy who said he wasn't going to tax the middle class. Well, he's doing more than taxing the middle class. He's also taxing the poor. This kind of an economic model that they push doesn't work anywhere. It doesn't create the kind of wealth and opportunity and growth that a great nation needs. Capitalism does that. Not the Green New Deal. No. Not the degrowth movement. No, you can't have it both ways. You can't push the degrowth movement and the Green New Deal, which are wars on capitalism and private property rights and entrepreneurship, and then claim credit for job growth. We have almost no job growth right now in the economy. I'll be right back. Levin says today, what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. I'm not going to spend all evening on this because it can get a little tedious, but I needed to unravel some of the propaganda coming out from the government, the regime, a.k.a. the White House. Jen uh, Psaki was asked at a White House briefing today, well, gas prices, why are you relying on foreign oil? Why don't you just tap our oil? Cut nine, go. 
One quick question on, on gas prices. Um, Reuters has uh, some reporting that shows uh, a lot of American uh, consumers we're talking to have started to link the rise in gas prices to the administration's policies uh, that ban uh, fossil fuels. Uh, for example, a pause on federal leasing on land and water. Um, and so my question is, why keep a lid on production uh, at home uh, with American companies and instead ask OPEC for more production where that production is perhaps not as environmentally regulated. Um, is there any consideration perhaps being given uh, to uh, to this, um, you know, keeping in mind uh, rising gas prices? Well, we are in touch. We are not a member of OPEC, as you all know. Uh, we are in regular touch with OPEC, and we have also raised um, issues of supply uh, in meetings that members of our national security team and others have had. Hey, so far she's missing the point. In fact, she's contradicting the point. That's the questioner's point, which is why are you relying on OPEC? Go ahead. From here, uh, we, of course, want to address uh, the short-term supply issues. One of those issues, as we know, uh, was uh, related to Hurricane Ida and the impacts in the region, which we took steps to address, certainly at the See, time. See, everything is always is. Hurricane Ida. Not their policies. Hurricane Ida. Bad employment numbers are good employment numbers. Open border is not an open border. Um, a disaster in Afghanistan is a uh, remarkable success. What, what, what is this? It's like, it's, like a, it's like another world these fools live in. Go ahead. Our view, to, to go back to your original question, is also that, well, we need to take steps to address short-term supply issues. We need to also keep our eye on the long-term and the impact of the climate, uh, the crisis that is we are in the middle of, uh, and ensure We're that not we in the middle of a climate crisis, you idiot. You ideologue. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, as long as they keep promoting these things, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Prices are going to go up. And you're back into the grocery store, the supermarket, aren't you? And you're seeing what's happening with towels and paper products, one per person. Are you starting to see that, Mr. Producer? We're back to that. And not because of the virus or the Delta variant or anything else. We're back to that. Look at the automobile industry. They can't get computer chips. So you're not going to get any deals on new cars whatsoever. So the price of used cars are going up because people are going to the used car market. Uh, about a month ago, maybe five, six weeks ago, at a car dealership in Florida, sells uh, uh, General Motors vehicles, Chevys in this case. Very good guy there, the general manager. I asked him about the situation. He said, Mark, we get about five cars a week depending on the, uh, the type of vehicle. And so, no, we can't keep them, and we can't give any deals, because we need to stay in business. And you look at the price of beef. Joe Biden says, we need an investigation to see if there's hoarding going on or some kind of uh, price fixing. This is what they do. No, the price of corn has gone through the roof. And a lot of this is feed corn that the cattle eat. It has nothing to do with anybody ripping anybody off. Parents out there, particularly 
uh, babies and so forth. You're starting to see shortages or prices going up on diapers. Again, it's like the third world. You remember what Obama used to say? We're like 3% of the population and we use 25% of the world's resources? Well, they intend to fix that by making you poorer. Why not? That's the situation. Can you imagine spending trillions more? What's going to happen to inflation? Can you imagine? All right, let's get back into this topic that I've been hammering and hammering and hammering with the war on parents and taxpayers in our local communities by the Department of Justice, the FBI, the Criminal Division, the Civil Rights Division, the National Security Division, by the Biden administration. The violation of the First Amendment, there's absolutely no federal nexus to any of this, so they have no authority to do any of it. And as we explained last night, thanks to the uh, document written by Reed Rubenstein and the, uh, and the legal organization, the American First Legal, it was an inside job. It was coordinated by the White House and the Department of Justice with these organizations. So Pisaki at the White House briefing, she's asked, will the Patriot Act be used to investigate school boards? Cut 13, go. A week ago, the National School Boards Association wrote to the president to say that their teachers feel like some parents protesting recently could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And then the attorney general put the FBI on the case. So does the administration agree that parents upset about their kids' curriculums could be considered domestic terrorists? Well, let me unravel this a little bit, because the National School Board Association is not a part of the U.S. government. I don't yes, but they're alleged to have worked with your administration, including senior people who you are aware of in the White House and at the Department of Justice. Go ahead. No letter from the Attorney General is that, quote, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. That's not all the letter says. First of all, threats against public servants. You'd be hard-pressed to find a pattern of threats against public servants at these school board meetings. None were presented in the memo, and none were presented by the National School Boards Association. When you go through that list, as I have, you can see things like people raising their voices, or they had to uh, uh, have a uh, recess during one of their meetings, or something like that. That's most of what is in their letter. And to federalize this, there's absolutely no legal basis, constitutional basis, or in fact, any basis whatsoever. Go ahead. That is true. These were threats against public servants, threats against uh, members of the school board. Uh, where, 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 who, when? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And for the Democrat Party to be worried about threats, she works for an idiot who had no problem with illegal aliens hunting down Senator Cinema in the bathroom, in the ladies' room. Her boss had no problem with that. It's part of the process. And then she was hunted down on the airplane, which is a federal offense. And then she was hunted down in the airport when they landed. And she was hunted down again today outside the Capitol building. So it's obvious what's going on with the Democrat Party militia. But when it comes to violence, I don't remember Joe Biden unequivocally and uh, forcefully condemning Black Lives Matter all through the summer when all the damage and rioting and 
mayhem was taking place. And I don't remember them getting all worked up about the murder rate in this country. Do they seem like they're worked up about it? The murder rate has spiked so high, we've never seen anything like this in a hundred years. Go ahead. ...of the reasoning, uh, threats and violence against public servants is illegal. That's what he was conveying. Okay, threats and violence against public officials are illegal. Certain threats are, and certainly violence is, but these are not federal officials. These are local officials. And to the extent there's threats and violence, and there is no extent, by the way, but even if we play along, that is a state and local matter. The federal government doesn't have plenary criminal authority over, over all threats and violence. That's not the way it works. In fact, the vast majority of criminal investigations... Criminal charges and criminal prosecutions happen at the state and local level, not at the federal level. Go ahead. Justice. But the Department of Justice does now have the FBI on this. Uh, something that the School Boards Association is asking for is uh, for the administration to consider using the Patriot Act to investigate some of these school board protesters. So would the administration be okay with the FBI using the Patriot Act to surveil these parents if that is what they decide? I don't speak on behalf of the National School Board Association. I speak on behalf of this government, the Attorney General. See how they play? The coordination between her administration and these other organizations, they call them stakeholders. Stakeholders. Uh, that's, uh, that's laid out in that letter that I read to you yesterday. Is, uh, is significant. And then they step back and say, I don't speak for the National School Board Association. Of course not. She pretends there's an arm's length relationship, but apparently there isn't. Go ahead. Can put out a letter. They will take actions they take, and I would point to them for more information. And uh, something that you said on Monday after some protesters were hounding Kirsten Cinema into a restroom, you said the president stands uh, for the fundamental right of people to protest to object and to criticize. So does the president support the fundamental right of these parents to protest at school board meetings? Of course, but he doesn't stand for the fundamental right. I assume you don't either for people to take a violent action uh, against... Where, where are all these violent actions being taken against these school board members, ladies and gentlemen? They can't... They can't find them. Again, it wasn't in the National School Board Association letter, and that's the association of these left-wing school boards, and it wasn't in the memorandum that the Attorney General put out. And if they have this long laundry list of violence against school board members, let's see it. Let's see it. Now, we can give them a long laundry list of Black Lives Matter and the violence and mayhem that they committed, the number of riots that they participated in, and not just them, Antifa and the others. But they have nothing here. And during those riots, when people were using uh, Molotov cocktails and setting buildings on fire, using clubs, using flagpoles as spears, and on and on and on, frozen bottles of water, bricks, all pre-positioned. I don't remember the, the FBI. I don't remember any of this. Saying, oh, we have to organize, and, you know, we have to do this, and we have to do that. No, the press called this mostly peaceful. And Democrat mayors were painting BLM letters all over the damn place. 
And Joe Biden was all but silent. And Pelosi called efforts by federal law enforcement to protect a federal courthouse in Portland the act of stormtroopers, and so did James Clyburn. None of this is going on at school board meetings and so forth. No, what's going on is that these union thugs are being challenged, that these leftists on these school boards are being challenged, that the educational bureaucracy is being challenged, and parents want some control over what their children are taught. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. King co-chair the Northeast Florida Moms for Liberty chapter, an African-American woman. Cut 14, go. I don't think parents realize just how pervasive it is. I know in Duval County, I and found... she's talking about critical race theory. Go ahead. ...three workshops and events um, as far back as 2011. And I'm sure there are, are other things before that because obviously it had to be something before that for it to even be a workshop. So um, I think understanding that they are not kidding. This is not going away. The enemy has no chill and is advancing forward as fast. We can see it. I mean, you're at home wanting, trying to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for your kids, and the FBI could be knocking at your door because you might have said the wrong thing at a school board meeting. These people, they're not, they are serious. They want to silence us and shut us down. Um, I really think at this point, the only thing to do is have a mass exodus from the public school system. That's it. How much time, Rich? Here's Terry McAuliffe in a roundtable discussion on Fox 43. The Clinton bagman, of course, is running for governor of Virginia uh, to represent critical race theory, genderism, uh, the unions, and to crush the parents and the taxpayers. Go. So how do you define critical race theory? I answer this question very clearly. It's not taught in Virginia, and it's never been taught in Virginia. And as I've said this a lot, it's a dog whistle. It's racial, it's division, and it's used by Glenn Youngkin and others. This is the same thing with Trump and the border wall to divide people. We should not be dividing people in school. So how do you define it? It, it, Anita, it is not taught here in Virginia. But how do you define it? Doesn't matter. It's not taught here in well, Virginia, so I'm not going to spend my time. On, on what it is. I'm not even spending my time because the school board and everyone else has come out and said it's not taught. It's racist. It's a dog whistle. But if we don't have a definition, how can we say it's racist? I just want a definition from yeah. you. It, it's not taught here in Virginia. We can ask about any topic. Here's what I've said all along, and it really bothers me. You know, I re- it really bothers me. This whole idea of stirring parents up to create divisions. Our children are going through such challenges today because of COVID. And we're talking about something here today, wasting precious viewers' time who want to know what I'm going to do on health care, what I'm going to do on job creation. And we're talking about something that's not taught in Virginia. He doesn't know what critical race theory is, does he, Mr. Producer? Because if he defined it, he would or we would, we would understand that he supports racism 
and effectively segregation. And Terry McAuliffe has no idea what critical race theory is. It is taught in Virginia. The State Department of Education has promoted it. The National Education Association has promoted it. Loudoun County, Fairfax counties in northern Virginia, two large counties, are teaching it and promoting it. Uh, Merrick Garland's son-in-law is making millions of dollars in the race uh, industry, pushing it and promoting it in schools across America. Terry McAuliffe is a fraud on top of being an idiot. On top of being an idiot. So the reason he wouldn't define critical race theory is because he's an ignoramus, that's why. But it is being taught and it's being pushed. And that's a fact. This guy, just like Biden. Oh, look at the, the unemployment numbers are fantastic. Oh, the border's not open. Oh, we had a fantastic, remarkable withdrawal from Afghanistan. Terry McAuliffe is, is a Joe Biden. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from, from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. In the state of Pennsylvania, Commonwealth, they like to call it, there is litigation taking place, constitutional litigation, left over from the last election. As you now know, the law firm of Perkins Coie and their top hitman, Mark Elias, who's no longer there, went all over the country, and they used dark money, that is money from billionaires and multimillionaires, to change the election laws in a number of states. They didn't care how they did it, they just did it. Well, they also succeeded in Pennsylvania. But even more, in Pennsylvania, as a result of the virus, even the Republican legislature and the Democrat governor decided to change the election laws for this pandemic. Not for an elongated period of time, but for this pandemic. But Pennsylvania has a very strict constitution, being one of the earliest states, and the second state to sign on to the Constitution of the United States. And this system for amending their constitution has been in place since their first constitution. And the system is very specific. And it applies with respect to voting. You can't just pass a statute and change the voting procedures in Pennsylvania. You have to amend the constitution. So it was particularly egregious when the elected Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, seven members, five of whom are hardcore Union Democrats, put there by the teachers' unions, voted to change the Constitution of Pennsylvania and the voting system in the last days of the election to accommodate the Democrat lawyers in the Biden campaign. Now, this is never discussed because it has nothing to do with voting machines and nothing to do with 
ballot counting or anything else. It has to do with a fundamental rule of law issue. But putting aside the state Supreme Court for the moment, what happened here was that the legislature and the governor violated the state constitution. Under Pennsylvania's constitution, only those qualified to vote may cast ballots. Only those qualified. Not provisional voting or anything of the kind. And voting must occur either one, in person at a polling place, or two, by absentee ballot. That's it. And Pennsylvania's Constitution permits only four categories of qualified voters to cast absentee ballots. Among the first, those who may, on the occurrence of any election, be absent from the municipality of their residence because their duties, occupation, or business require them to be elsewhere. The second, third, and fourth are those who, on the occurrence of any election, are unable to attend at their proper polling places because of illness or physical disability, will not attend a polling place because of the observance of a religious holiday, and cannot vote because of election day duties in the case of a county employee. There is no drop boxes, nothing here about waiving signature verification, Nothing here about extending the vote beyond election day. None of it. So if you want to change it, you have to amend the Constitution. And if you don't fall into any of these four categories for absentee ballots, you can't vote. You can't vote by ballot. Mail-in ballot, drop box ballot, or anything of the sort. So in 2019, responding to the virus, the Pennsylvania General Assembly passed and the governor signed a bill called Act 77, which goes well beyond what the Constitution provides. Well beyond. And in the state of Pennsylvania, you have to jump through hoops. You have to jump through hoops. Uh, in order to amend the Constitution there. It's very difficult. So I'll give you an example. The Constitution in Pennsylvania may only be amended if a proposed modification receives a majority vote of two consecutive sessions of the General Assembly and then is approved by the electorate after advertising in newspapers through local- with lo- in localities, localities all throughout the state of Pennsylvania. That did not happen. There was one vote of the legislature. That's it. There were not two votes. There were not publications. They received advertisements about it. The electorate was not even involved. Now they have a provision for emergency amendments. Emergency amendments are permitted by a vote of two-thirds of the General Assembly and an affirmative vote by the electorate within one month. They did not pursue that at all. So the state constitution of Pennsylvania was violated with this act. This was one of the pieces of litigation among two that were raised during the 2020 election. And 
The Supreme Court refused to take it up. The Supreme Court of the United States. Now, the Commonwealth judge, a lower court judge, did take the case initially, as it was her jurisdiction. And she ruled for a temporary injunction to prevent the counting of the electors to continue. When you hear that there were 66 cases brought and 66 cases lost, that's not true. In this case, a Pennsylvania judge said, no, stop counting the electors. That this is a serious challenge being brought by the plaintiffs. And then what happened is the state Supreme Court violated procedures, reached down into the Commonwealth Court, grabbed the case within 48 hours, and in a five-page opinion, shut down the litigation. The plaintiffs appealed the case to the United States Supreme Court, which refused to take it. This was one of the two crucially important cases. And among other things, the plaintiffs argued that Not only did this violate the state constitution, but there is in fact a federal cause of action. Because in violating the state constitution, the federal constitution was violated with respect to the authority of Congress to make the final decision on electors. And that you can't violate the state constitution and then bring your your electors... Uh, effectively to Congress and then expect Congress to ordain what you've done. So it's almost like the fruit of the poisonous tree. That is, if you're going to violate your own constitution, you can't then use that to poison the federal constitutional process. Well, ladies and gentlemen, they're back. This case has been brought again. A number of great lawyers involved, including my wife. And this case has been brought again. Now to demonstrate to you how serious this matter is, and of course now they're in federal court, what has happened here is that the Democrat Party And the Democrats in the state of Pennsylvania are bringing in the big guns. Because they're worried about losing this case. As you can imagine. So one of the people they have hired to bring in is the former Solicitor General of the United States in the Clinton administration, Seth P. Waxman. Who argued a number of cases before the United States Supreme Court. And so Waxman has now been brought into this case to represent, you know, the state, that is the governor, as well as the Democrat Party, and the, and the, uh, and the Democrats are seeking intervention. So they're seeking intervention in this case, through Waxman, because they fear that this is a strong case. And of course it is a strong case. The United States Supreme Court did a grave disservice to this country by refusing to take the two Pennsylvania cases. I blame primarily John Roberts. He's no William Rehnquist. When the Florida Supreme Court went rogue, finally, the Rehnquist Court had enough. 
and stepped in. When the Pennsylvania Supreme Court went rogue, they were permitted to go rogue, and the Supreme Court, the Roberts Court, refused to step in, even though there were federal constitutional issues that needed to be protected, even though the court needed to tell state courts, lower federal courts, and other governing bodies to comply with the federal constitution, which means to comply with their own state constitutions as well. The court refused to take that simple step. And now we have in the states helter-skelter. Because John Roberts is Hollywood John. He's mostly afraid of how he'll be portrayed by the New York Times and their ilk. So the Democrat Party is... uh, is trying to intervene. I want to correct myself. They're in Commonwealth Court, not the federal court yet, but eventually it'll wind up there. They're in state court. They're trying to intervene in this case. They're bringing in the former top Supreme Court litigator in the Clinton administration uh, to try and squelch this case. So I thought I would give you a heads up on this. Because the media never will. The media will talk about the January 6th insurrection. The media will talk about how Trump tried to uh, hold on to power and destroy the, uh, the electoral process and so forth and so on. Uh, and, of course, they give the Democrats a complete pass for what they did in, in all these key states, including Pennsylvania. What took place in Pennsylvania with the violation of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, the violation, uh, excuse me, the the Pennsylvania Constitution, the violation of the federal Constitution, the rogue Supreme Court there, was even worse than what took place in in Florida with the Florida Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court should have taken up that case, plus the rogue behavior of the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court in violating directly the federal Constitution. And notice the rhinos, the bushies, and all the rest wanted wanted these litigators to stand down. But they never stood down when it came to Bush versus Gore, did they? Also, one of the things these these individuals, this uh, would-be solicitor general who wants to intervene in the case, the interveners are already trying to do, is talk about how Donald Trump is involved in this, and Donald Trump is trying to do it. Donald Trump has nothing to do with this case, nothing whatsoever. He never had anything to do with it in the first instance. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. But because these judges are all elected in Pennsylvania, whether it's the Supreme Court, the Appellate Court, the Common Pleas Court, all these courts, you know, they're, they're sending a signal to the Democrat judges Forget about the law. Use your hatred for Trump and try and kill this thing. But I thought you'd find this uh, very, very interesting. In fact, fascinating. This is a real case. These two cases in Pennsylvania were real, substantive, constitutional cases. They were not given the attention that they deserve. And of course, the media will never do that. Because they just want you to believe that all these other cases and this was all frivolous. I'll be right back. Mark 
At the point of the Pennsylvania litigation, isn't the reverse the results of the last election? The points, the point of the Pennsylvania litigation is to put back in place the constitutional voting system. One legislature, one governor, one elected state Supreme Court can't rewrite the state constitution and then poison the electoral process leaching into the federal constitutional system. That just can't stand. So these changes in the voting system in Pennsylvania are unconstitutional under state law. And by the way, it's not even a close call. It's beyond obvious. They didn't go through the amendment procedures. You can't change the voting system in Pennsylvania by statute. They did not go through the amendment process. They shortcut it. Now, I don't expect the Democrats to support this. They're crooked as hell. That's the nature of American Marxism. So what the litigants are trying to do is to make sure going forward in future elections, in 2022 and 2024, and by the way, also in state elections, that the constitutional electoral process is in place. If the process is to be changed, they have to go through the amendment process. That did not happen. Nor does a court have the power to just step in and change the Constitution. And that was the second piece of litigation. That when the federal Constitution says it's the state legislature that shall determine the election process for appointing electors, that does not mean the state Supreme Court, it does not mean the governor, it does not mean the Secretary of State, it means the legislature. So that was the dual path, the parallel path these cases were on. First, the changes in state law for the election in Pennsylvania violated the Pennsylvania Constitution and therefore tainted the federal constitutional process. Number two, the state Supreme Court did not have the power to change the election process under the federal Constitution. Both of those cases should have been taken up. Neither were taken up. And so... The battle goes on. Future elections in Pennsylvania need to comply with the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. Excuse me, Constitution. Blasting conservative fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Friday evening, moving into Friday night. Saturday, Sunday. Some of you have a holiday on Monday, Columbus Day. Were you allowed to say Columbus Day? I think I will. Uh, I'll be back behind the mic on Monday, but it is the perfect time when you go shopping this weekend. Maybe you go to Walmart or Costco, Barnes & Noble. Wherever you go, to acquire your copy of American Marxism. I don't know how much longer it'll be on the shelves, but I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. And also, of course, Amazon. If you want to sit home all weekend and watch the football games, all you do is pull out your iPhone and go ahead and order it. 
you'll have a really strong sense of what's going on in your country beyond the superficial. You know, where people are throwing constant thoughts at you. And you'll go deeper, deeper into the issues that are taking place, including critical race theory. You'll completely understand critical race theory. You'll completely understand this genderism movement, the degrowth, climate change so-called movement. It'll all come together for you. I promise you it will. Well over 16,000 comments on Amazon, five stars. Uh, I'm not trying to elicit calls on the book or so forth. Especially if there's young people in your lives, a neighbor, one of your own children or grandchildren. This is a book they really should read. You know, we can't leave it up to government schools. That's quite obvious. We can't leave it up to colleges and universities. That's quite obvious. To inform our children about what's taking place about our history, about the magnificence of this country. It is being trashed from the Oval Office to the Democrat caucuses in Congress to the media and in the classroom. So in many ways it's up to us, the tens of millions of us, parents and grandparents, to ensure that our children, that our next generation and the generation after, not only have respect for this country, but love this country. Many of you do that. But arguments, people need to have the ability, the information to stand up, to argue against what's taking place. Otherwise, you can become susceptible to the lies and the propaganda and the brainwashing. The purpose of American Marxism, the book and the words, is to set the record straight. To set the record straight. And let's stop using the word progressives. They're not progressives. They're American Marxists. That's what they are. That's what they believe. An Americanized, customized form of various Marxist subsets that are out there. And I think it's very important. If your parents out there, you attend school board meetings, taxpayers, or if you're not really even involved, I want to encourage you to read it. And particularly now, Chapter 7, the part on education that I referenced earlier in the week, There's a dozen ideas or so on how to deal with school boards, the teachers' unions, uh, and how to address issues related to them. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, acquire a copy of American Marxism, and I think you'll think it's well worth it. I mean, I think it's like 16 bucks or something like that right now on Amazon. But also, again, if you're shopping, you happen to be going by in in Costco or Walmart or any of these places, um, you want to go to Barnes & Noble. We have uh, Sam's has been great and and, uh, BJ's and Books a Million. I go on and on and on. Just just terrific. I don't know if the people in Virginia who voted for Joe Biden, the majority, and got what we got, a complete, utter disaster. I really hope that they're not going to be full twice with Terry McAuliffe because he is a Joe Biden type. He really is. I just played for you the discussion on critical race theory. He doesn't even know what it is. He knows that teachers should have no say in the school system. Excuse me. He knows that parents, parents should have no say in the school system. Then teachers and their unions and the educational bureaucrats and the superintendents should control everything, meaning the left. Doesn't matter what your kids are taught about sex and perversion and immorality. It doesn't matter what your kids are taught about race and racism. 
and that they get sucked into that whole mindset, that's where Terry McAuliffe is. But it's even worse than that. This reporter was really quite good on Fox 43 last night, which is the, a local station. And uh, again, in this roundtable discussion, you see, Terry McAuliffe said that the election of George Bush was illegitimate. That Bush was actually beaten by Al Gore. That's what he said. And yet when it comes to Trump, of course, Trump is crazy for raising any questions about this last election, right? Take a listen to this. Go ahead. But in 2004, you said this about the election where President Bush beat Al Gore. Let's go back to Florida. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. Okay, so first I want to talk about this. Was President George Bush legitimately elected? Well, we went through a very contentious 2000, if you remember. And I remind you, it went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And it took them through the second week of December to actually make a decision. And the Supreme Court, for the first time in the history of our country, stopped the counting of ballots in Florida and overturned the local Virginia or the uh, Florida Supreme Court. So yes or no? So that was a different. Yeah, he got sworn in. Once you're sworn in, we got to move on. But do not forget that it was very important that the Supreme Court of Florida stopped the counting of ballots. Okay. That wasn't the case in uh, 2020. Now what he means is the Supreme Court of the United States. But listen to that. He doesn't accept the, well, he was sworn in, so let's move on. Go ahead. Came out with a new ad this week. Sure. Challenging Mr. Youngkin's prioritizing election integrity. Yeah. Uh, you said, Glenn is again casting doubt on election results and putting Trump's conspiracy theories first. This behavior is dangerous and it's disqualifying. Yeah. So my question to you is, yeah. what is the difference between what you've said and what you're accusing him of? Well, first of all, I'll say it again. That case in 2000 went to the United States Supreme Court went through the Florida Supreme Court. None of that happened in 2020. I think there were 33 suits brought, as you know. Every single one of those were thrown out, many of them by judges appointed by Donald Trump. But let's be clear, for eight months, Glenn Youngkin had one thing on his website, election integrity. Just yesterday, he got caught saying, we need to audit all of Virginia's voting machines. We don't have election fraud here. This is, you know, it, it, it's buzzwords that they try to use to the Trump base to keep them happy. So the difference is just it going to the Supreme Court. There were legitimate complaints that went all the way up and certified by the United States Supreme Court. There was none of that in the 2020 election. That's a distinction without a difference. That wasn't her point. Her point was you're not, you didn't accept the legitimacy of the Bush election. And you rejected what the United States Supreme Court had ruled. That's her point. The Supreme Court has nothing to do with it. The point is, even after the election, you heard what he said. He said Al Gore won the election. It's a greater point for the rest of the country, too. This is what they all said. This is what they are. But it was a legitimate decision. The reason the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in is because of the rogue behavior of the Florida State Supreme Court. That's why it stepped in. That's why it stepped in. 
not the court heard it, the court heard it. Only the Supreme Court could stop the Florida court. And that's what the Supreme Court did. Let's see if he'll, one more, just for the fun of it. Again, last night at this round table. Cut 19, go. Now my question is, are you still proud to have the endorsement of the new Virginia majority? Listen. Now the new Virginia majority uh, was behind and pushed hard for the defund the police movement. The new Virginia majority pushed the defund the police movement in Virginia. Go ahead. When I was governor, I had the lowest crime rate of any state in the United States of America. You know what? And I think that's what your viewers are actually concerned about. When I ran for governor... Wait a minute, lower than Vermont? This guy's a constant liar. He's a serial liar, just so you know. Like Biden. Go ahead. Stamps. I made a pledge, and I honored that, to get everyone off of food stamps. I am the first governor to receive an honorary sheriff award from the sheriffs. I have tremendous support. I gave my state police. I gave... uh, By the way, almost all the police groups have backed Yunkin. He won't say that, but notice he won't answer the question. Go ahead. But my question and, and is, you know sir, I need you to answer it. Are you still proud to have the endorsement of the new Virginia majority? Yes or no? Listen, groups endorse me. I, you're not responsible. I got thousands of them. This, this, this group, are you still proud I, to have I, their I do not support any defunded the police. I actually funded the police. And that's why, as I say, I had the lowest crime rate of any major state in America. That's just plain fact. So you've got groups endorsing you, really? What do Virginians care about? That when I was governor, in a bipartisan way, I passed, passed the toughest domestic violence law in the United States of America. And Glenn Youngkin, he wants to roll back background checks. I'm going to ask you a third time. Are you still proud to have the endorsement of the new Virginia majority? Any group that wants to endorse, endorse. I do not support some some, uh, plan if someone says they want to defund the police. I funded the police, and I'm very proud of it. So you you are are still proud to have their endorsement? A lot of people endorse me. So be it. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Next week, we're going to have the candidate running for lieutenant governor of Virginia. Very important election. An African-American woman, conservative, on the program. She's not getting the attention she deserves, as well as the candidate running for attorney general of Virginia, who's of uh, Cuban ancestry. Uh, His mother came to the United States. And if Glenn Youngkin would like to come on the program, we would certainly be willing to have him on the program. But so far... Apparently not. It's okay. I'm still going to vote for him. It's still important to defeat this McCull- this uh, Terry McAuliffe, a disaster. We had him once. All right, let's take some calls, shall we? I think we shall. Let's see. Okay, got it. Let's go to Nancy Ambler, Pennsylvania. How are you listening to us? Hi, Mark. Uh, WPHT, I'm sorry. Go right ahead, Nancy. Yes. Yes, Mark. Uh, So happy to hear you talking earlier about what's happening in Pennsylvania. 
and I hope that you can impress upon your audiences, both on radio and TV, uh, that on Tuesday, November 2nd, there's an election for an opening in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Mm. And it's so important not to put another Democrat on the corrupt court. Mm-hmm. Well, you just told the whole country, as well as our friends all over the state of Pennsylvania, that's this November 2nd, the election? Yes. For Supreme Court. All right, folks, I'll tell you, the other side organizes. That's what they did. The Republican Party was weak. They didn't get behind their candidates. And these elections for uh, state Supreme Court justices, they are a big, big, big deal. All right, Nancy, thank you for your call. Mr. Producer, we'll continue today to give out the books, okay? All right, let us continue. Jim, Amarillo, Texas, XM Satellite. Jim, how are you, sir? Hey, Mark, how are you? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in eastern New Mexico. I wish we our county would secede to Texas, but... <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. All right, what's up? No, I just, uh, I was just, I'm, you know, really confused on how the president can get up there and talk about the unemployment numbers when 90% of the stores and restaurants I see have help wanted signs on the door. Mm-hmm. Well, there's five, at least right now, I read five, over five million jobs that are unfilled. So, you know, he's almost becoming like the Herbert Hoover of our time, except Herbert Hoover wasn't a liar, and Herbert Hoover had class. Joe Biden is a liar, and he doesn't have class. But maybe he'll be the modern Herbert Hoover of our time. You never know. He wants to be the Franklin Roosevelt, of course. All right, Jim, don't hang up. We want to get you a signed copy of American Marxism. And folks, this break is the perfect time to hit Amazon and get your copies for friends, family, or yourself. Big final hour, final hour of the week. Don't miss it. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Do most of you drive vehicles? I think most of you drive vehicles, don't you? Most of you use fuel of some kind? U.S. crude oil price tops $80 a barrel, the highest since 2014. West Texas intermediate crude futures topped $80 today for the first time since 2014. Oil is up more than 60% for 2021. The Department of Energy has no immediate plans to take action to alleviate the price surge. Well, the Department of Energy can't do anything, except going to the emergency reserves, which is not for this. Now, of course, the administration blames the virus. What would they do without the virus? What would they do without the virus? They apparently don't like a free people. Right? They use the virus in a thousand different ways to fuel the iron fist. 
But ladies and gentlemen, you can now fill it at the pump. Anybody who drives a vehicle can now fill it at the pump. But you're also going to feel it, those of us who live in cold areas during the winter, when the cold weather comes. But it's going to drive up the cost, not just of homes and other facilities that you actually use crude oil or even natural gas, but electricity. Because natural gas is is used to make electricity. Coal is used to make electricity. And uh, it's about time somebody figured that out because they keep talking about getting rid of uh, fossil fuels. We get rid of fossil fuels, you're essentially going to get rid of most of electricity, too. I have an electrical car. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Anyway, um, so when the price of fuel increases, the price of virtually everything increases. It is an amazing thing the Industrial Revolution gave us fossil fuel usage in ways that was never ever contemplated. It's an endless resource. I remember the days, wasn't that long ago, when people would say, we're going to run out of it. No, we're not going to run out of it. Why? Because the earth is a damn big place, and we have barely discovered what's in and on the earth, despite all the nonsense. The price of fuel goes up. The price of plastics go up. The price of clothing goes up. The price of delivering your products to the retailers go up. The price in running an assembly line goes up. The price of everything goes up. Everything. So we now have upward pressure on the price of fuel because we don't have enough of it. And it's not because the economy is rebounding. It's because of policies set in place by the Green New Deal climate change degrowth Marxist movement. It's that simple. We can produce our way out of this. As a matter of fact, we had. We had energy independence under Donald Trump, something we had sought for half a century. And we finally got it. And then we threw it back with this election. It's shocking. And so you're feeling the prices at the gas pump, and you're going to feel it when you get your electricity bill, and you're going to feel it when you get your heating bill, and you're going to see that the prices are increasing. Now, we can reach a point where we have shortages that cannot be backfilled. And what happens when that occurs, and I wrote about this in Liberty and Tyranny over 12 years ago, what happens when that occurs is you brown out some blackouts like you have in California. California is the, is the Petri dish, not because we want it to be, but because that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of the government and the politics there. So I want you to think about that. Brownouts and blackouts. We are, and I'll use the phrase, I'll, I'll coin it, deindustrializing America. That's what we're doing. We're deindustrializing from within our own country by limiting our own access to natural resources and to materials and so forth. Has no effect on pollution. Pollution in this country, other than areas here and there, is largely under control. When you consider how much industrial output there is in America, we have extremely clean water and extremely clean air, except again for some exceptions that need to be addressed. 
But this entire environmental movement of the last half century has been hijacked by the degrowth Marxist movement, which has as its purpose to make you poor. It's almost a religion. It's almost a religion. That's why you'll never hear me talk about nature as mother nature, to humanize nature. Nature can be brutal. Anybody who's lived through a hurricane or tornado or a flood or God knows what, nature can be absolutely brutal. Nature is not just about polar bears and, uh, and daisies and, uh, and cotton-looking clouds and so forth. Nature is the earth. The earth responding to certain things that we have no control over. No control over, whether it's the tectonic plates that are moving, whether it's a particular uh, Gulf Stream or airstream, whatever it is. The warming of the ocean, hitting the cooling of the ocean and creating a uh, reaction. And the, the idea that we have some control over this by making ourselves poorer. The idea that we have some control over this by giving the government more power, the same government that pretty much can't do a damn thing pr- properly or efficiently. The idea that we can make this better by attacking capitalism and embracing a form of Marxism or economic socialism is absurd. And yet that is what they want you to believe. So this administration is pushing up the price of fossil fuels. And they will tell you, as Pisaki said today, we are in a climate existential crisis. What in the hell are they talking about? A climate existential crisis. No, we're not. That is a lie. It is a complete lie. And Pelosi is at the UN Climate Change Conference in Rome today. Just another excuse for a junket. Here she is. Cut 22, Mr. Producer. Go. Now, less than a month from COP26, we must discuss what I believe, and I think we all share the beliefs, the most uh, urgent challenge of our time, the climate crisis. Uh. The climate crisis is an existential threat Mm. to our planet. It is a public health priority for clean Mm. water and clean air for our children to breathe. It is an economic priority for good paying green jobs ah. for now and into the future. It's a national security priority to See, prevent- what they do is they pour all of their agenda into these various Marxist sub-movements. So, by destroying the free market, by attacking capitalism, by centralizing economic decision-making, by making you poor, pay more for, for goods and services, more to warm your home. By doing that, you see, you're a righteous citizen. You're contributing to a, a better earth. This is bullcrap. Absolute bullcrap. Go ahead. From migration and the competition for habitat and resources uh, that follows. And it is a moral issue. If you believe, as I, that this is God's creation, this planet... Oh, there you go. That... See, it's a religion. It's a religion. Go ahead. The moral responsibility to be good stewards of it. If you don't share that view, but just we all can agree. So how are, how are you a good steward of the earth? By destroying your livelihood? 
by empowering Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats and a central government? Does that make you a good steward of the earth? You know, I've played for you several times over the course of almost 20 years, George Carlin's shtick on the environment, only because it really is right on. It really is right on. The arrogance of people who believe that they can control the earth, that they can control the climate, that they can control hurricanes, and the, and the idiocy and the propaganda of these people. Every time there's a bad earthquake or hurricane or whatever, say, see, it's climate change. Doesn't that remind you of the throwbacks, folks? People who, could, who weren't informed, who didn't have much science at their fingertips? When there was lightning, the gods were speaking, or if there was a hurricane or a blizzard, it was uh, because of their behavior. And I mean, things of that sort, doesn't this sound exactly the same way? It is exactly the same. But this is an excuse to grab power, whether it's critical race theory, this and so forth. If you want to understand authoritarianism, you want to understand Marxism, you want to understand what's happening to this country? American Marxism lays it all out, and I have an entire chapter on climate change. It's called Climate Change Fanaticism. I'll be right back. Lovin. Don't be afraid, folks. Don't be afraid. Use the phrase American Marxism. People are using every other word they can think of. Progressivism, democratic socialism. Oh, yes, authoritarianism. Autocracy. Say it. Repeat after me. American Marxism. One more time. American Marxism. It's okay. You have to have the courage to speak properly what the language is. I want to encourage radio hosts. I want to encourage my friends on Fox. Use the proper nomenclature. Use it. Don't be afraid. And that way the American people will fully understand what we're talking about. They'll understand what we're talking about. But we've got to use the right phraseology. I could say that they're fascists, and look, there's an overlap in terms of uh, totalitarianism when it comes to fascism and Marxism, but Marxism is an ideology. Fascism is typically built around an individual. Marxism is the way they talk. Class warfare, race warfare, whatever warfare, oppressor versus oppressed. That's why we need to call it what it is. It's not really fascism. It's Marxism. It's a customized form, Americanized form of Marxism. Now, how do we know this? Because those who have created this scenario with these various Marxist movements have told us this is what they're doing. There are very few fascist professors. There are very few fascist tenured professors. I'm sure there's some. But there's a whole crapload of Marxist tenured professors. There are very few fascist scholars and intellectuals who write books and essays 
about how to advance their ideology. But there's a crapload of Marxist professors and scholars and intellectuals who do write and speak about what it is they're promoting. We shouldn't be turning a blind eye to this or a deaf ear to this, which is the whole point of the book, to have the courage to understand what we're up against so we have the courage to confront it and defeat it. And yet even among our fellow conservatives, in the media, they duck this word Marxism, particularly the words American Marxism, they fear it, they're afraid of it. Now you should fear and be concerned about what it is and what they're doing to us, but if you're going to be intellectually honest and intellectually strong about it, call it what it is. This is what it is. This is what's going on in our colleges and universities. These are the groups who are promoting critical race theory. These are the groups that are promoting the degrowth anti-capitalist movement. This is who they are. I am frustrated, not with you folks, not in the least, but I am frustrated, frustrated with individuals who have a microphone or a camera or a pen, who want to be read, who want to be heard, who want to be known, and yet are unwilling or incapable of speaking the truth about this. We must. Or it will gobble us up, it will devour us. This is what I'm talking about. Let's go to Robert, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. Robert, go right ahead, please. How you doing, Mr. Levin? Very well, thank you. Um, I first want to thank you for doing the work that you've been doing all of these years. Um, you might not realize it, but you helped me raise five unindoctrinated kids in the wow. Philadelphia school system. Thank you. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that. Um, I'm going to get a book one of these days from you to put up next to my Hayek Road to Serfdom book. And um, we are we moved outside of Philly, of course, to a little town called Ben Salem. I know Very exactly nice where it is. And, I've, and I love it here. And I can guarantee you that anything pertaining to the school curriculum, um, the judge who's up for re-election that your prior caller was nice enough to point out, will be taken care of on November 2nd. I'm very confident and as outraged as I am by this current government and what I think was a stolen. I'm very hopeful because I think that if we can beat back what's going on now, it's a clear slide to the midterms, and I think we're going to clean the clock. And I'm back in the trenches and working again, and it's nice to have a resource like you. Thank you very much, man. Well, don't hang up, Robert. I want to thank you very much, and congratulations on raising five great kids. And I know where Ben Salem is. It's very nice. Uh, you know, I used to live in Cheltenham. We played basketball against them and soccer and so forth, so uh, baseball. So don't hang up. We want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Thank you, my friend. Boy, he's going to put my book up there with Hayek. That's, that's big company there, man. 
All right, we only have one minute, so I'm not going to take a call. I hope you folks understand what I mean. It's not even the promotion of the book. It's the promotion of the phrase that, that, uh, that, that provides a concept, that provides the ideology of the, of the Marxists. And so when people say authoritarianism, what, what does that mean? Or uh, fascism, what does that mean? Well, we know what it means generally. But why use every word but the words that really are relevant here? And as I said, these Marxist professors and Marxist audio, you know, uh, it's like uh, Black Lives Matter. The founders of Black Lives Matter, they don't go around and say, hi, I'm authoritarian, hi, I'm a fascist. They're Marxists. That's what they are. They call themselves Marxists because they are Marxists. All right, folks, I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Eric, Manchester, New Hampshire, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, Eric? Great, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You know, when we talk about the Democrats, I always think of, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, you uh, baffle them with BS. And and um, I'm just like so sick of their lies. I, I mean, honestly, they, remember the big fuss about 787 billion dollars for Obama's stimulus, mm-hmm. and now we're throwing around trillions of dollars like a third world country. It's it's, it's just unbelievable. And I actually want to ask you a question about that. Um, yeah. Um, because you always say there's more of them than us. Um, I was wondering. No, I about, say there's more of us than them. Oh, no, I said you were afraid there was more of them than us. Oh, sometimes uh, I, I, I do. Right, I think, I, think we're st- I think we're still good, but uh, we're pushing our luck. Uh, but I was wondering, constitutionally, um, could, is, there a way, is there a mechanism to do some sort of equal protection? Because uh, as far as I'm concerned, an illegal uh, alien's uh, vote is more important than my vote. And, um, well, listen, the, the illegal aliens aren't supposed to vote, so the equal protection wouldn't kick in. Um, what should kick in is the law. Uh, what should kick in is the voting law. And, of course, as you well know, the Democrats are trying to change laws all throughout this country to make it impossible to catch fraud. And this is what kind of happened in the last election, too. They make it impossible to catch fraud, and then they say, well, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Well, you just took all the barriers down to, to protect the system. No signature. Uh, you can vote after Election Day and on and on and on. And then you say, where's the evidence? Well, it's kind of hard to come up with the evidence when you have enshrined fraud. All right, Eric, thank you for your call, my friend. We're going to send you American Marxism, a signed copy. Hang in there. Let's continue. Let's go to Wes, Charlotte, North Carolina, XM Satellite. Wes, how are you? Very good, Professor. It's good to speak with you. I appreciate it. Thank you, um, sir. <clears throat> I was thinking about something that you said earlier uh, when we were listening to Pisaki talk about 
climate change is more important than us suffering the cost of fuel prices going up. Mm-hmm. But if, if that's really true, then why are we asking another country to supply the material, the oil that we need? Aren't we just kind of pushing the problem? Over? We're not really solving anything. And my family, we own a trucking business. Mm-hmm. And in the last month and a half, I kid you not, our prices for doing business have gone up 20 to 22 and a half percent. I was paying 340, 335 at the at the pumps for diesel, and now I'm paying 385 to 395 a gallon for diesel. And I don't get to pass that on to the customers whose material stuff that I'm taking around the country. So I eat mm-hmm. that, and then not only am I eating that cost, but I I also am losing money on my business side because I can't ask for more money from the people that we're hauling material around for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's frustrating to me because we're trying to do a, our own business and, and, and be successful, and and it's making it very difficult. And just the insanity of saying, well, we have to think the climate uh, crisis is more important than what you're That's suffering. because these people don't work in the private sector. They don't know anything about trucking. They don't know anything about packaging. They don't know anything about growing and raising food. They don't know anything about anything. And yet they think they know everything about everything. And so they're ideologues. And they push their abstractions and their theories on people like you, millions and millions of people like you, little businessmen and women, trying to make ends meet. And, uh, and they're putting you out of business. Or they're making it tough to make a profit. And you're not their constituency. They simply don't care about you. The constituency is the welfare state, the expansion of the welfare state, and as many people as they can put onto the welfare state. It is a sad fact, but that's exactly what's going on. And your point, of course, is very, very smart, which is you're putting the arm on, uh, on OPEC to produce more. Uh, how does that help carbon dioxide uh, when we could be doing this ourselves? And, of course, you're right. And it's, it's complete insanity. We should handicap or cripple our own industries while pressing uh, foreign industries to uh, produce, at least in part, what we need. And it's a fool's uh, errand because uh, they're not going to do it. They don't have our interests at heart. They have their own interests at heart. Wes, thank you, my friend. I'm sorry you're in this situation. We'll send you a signed copy of American Marxism as well. Really good callers. So we'll continue. James, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. James, how are you? Very well, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. Great. Um, First of all, I'd like to say I've been listening to you on WABC Radio for 12 years. Thank you. And um, I love your show. I love your sarcastic sense of humor. It cracks me up, <laughs> I'm telling you. But Thank you. Um, to get to the point, um, I'd like to speak about... And by the way, this time slot, keep in mind, we're up against the Mets, who are done, up against the Yankees. We go up against hockey. We go up against all the sports and everything else. And we've been doing this from 6 to 9 p.m. in WABC in the East Coast for a long, long time. So we're very, very proud of that. Anyway, James, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I just happened to stop watching sports after uh, mm-hmm. they started kneeling. So that's out for me anyway. But I still listen to the show. Uh, anyway, um, in November of 2010, a gentleman by the name of Atmar Adenhauer, he co-chaired the UN IPCC Working Group Mitigation of Climate Change mm-hmm. from 2008 to 2015 
quote, one has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. Instead, climate change policy is about how we redistribute de facto the world's wealth. That's mm-hmm. the first thing he said. Mm-hmm. Now, referring to an upcoming U.N. World Climate Summit, Eidenhofer again clarified, the next World Climate Summit in Cancun is actually an economy summit during which the distribution of the world's resources will be negotiated. Mm-hmm. Living proof that the IPCC is, you could fill in the blanks. Yeah, and I, I, I've been talking about this. The whole chapter five of my book points it out, too. This is a Marxist ideology that is using climate, the Green New Deal. It is a degrowth movement, um, and it was born in the 1970s in Europe. And that's exactly correct. And that's why the U.N. is up to its eyeballs in this. You're right. It's about redistribution of wealth. It's about making Americans poor, the theory being that other people will be, then become richer. And it is a direct war. We are in the bullseye target of, uh, of this so-called climate change, Green New Deal, and the truth is degrowth movement. And you're absolutely correct about this. Very, very well, well said. So uh, we want to get you a... Uh, a copy of American Marxism, too, and I think in particular you will like uh, Chapter 5. Mr. Producer, I just lost my call screen here. Give me an individual. Uh, It's back. It's back. All right. Bill, Fredericksburg, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go right ahead, Bill. Oh, my goodness, Mr. Levin. I've been trying to get on for years well, here thank program. you. Here and we are. I am so, I am so pleasured to uh, have this chance to speak with you and your audience. Um, one thing that has been on my mind as of late, according to bit, is under the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. Say that again. And that is the yeah, under the Fifth uh, yeah. Amendment. Yeah. With, with the Constitution of States. Yeah, the Article, right. Right, right, uh, the article. And anyhow, government has become so intrusive mm-hmm. and so overbearing in our lives with the Patriot Act and the way all of these things are being used against the American citizens now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the government's become so intrusive. What does it take to get a convention of states well, it takes 34 states, and so far we have 15, I believe. And um, uh, I think we can do better if there's more publicity and so forth. I'm 100% for Convention of States. This is something I've been pushing for a long time and wrote about. And, um, and the Convention of States uh, organization is a fantastic organization, but we have a number of Republicans who, who oppose this who are very, very foolish, and of course who are the Democrats who fight it, but this needs to remain a priority. I can think of no other way to get our constitutional system back, Bill. You're exactly right. All right. I have to take a break. Bill, we'll, we'll fire off a copy of American Marxism to you as well, signed edition, and I'll be right back. Mark
Let's go to Sarah, Springfield, Missouri, the show me state, the great KSGF. Sarah, go right ahead, please. So I work for Children's Division, which is DFS DFS in the state of Missouri, Mm -hmm. and I work with families every single day. And I've been working there for a few years now, and especially during COVID, you saw all the benefits of the churches and stuff. But now that that's all quit because everything's getting more expensive, families are struggling because they can't afford things anymore. Mm-hmm. When you, uh, if you heard Joe Biden today, or if you hear him ever, does he sound like he gives a damn when he's praising himself? And he says that he's trying to help those in poverty, and he's just hurting them. He just wants to create programs and spend money and redistribute wealth. You're exactly right. This this inflation rather, is the greatest attack on low-income, middle-income people. It's the greatest attack because it hits everything. It hits the necessities, food, energy, housing, clothing, all of it. And if you're an hourly worker, or if you have a, a limited wage, or if, frankly, if you're a pensioner, uh, this is problematic. And uh, the answer by the Democrats will be more spending and more inflation as they drag us all down. But you're seeing it in, the, in your work, right? Yeah, every, every day I go out and I see it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you take care of yourself. Thank you for what you do. Don't hang up. I want to get you a copy of American Marxism. All right, folks, America, in honor of you.
don't forget, a killer life, liberty, and Levin this Sunday. Seriously, you're going to love it. 8 p.m. Eastern time. If you can't watch it live, then DVR it. I know you're going to appreciate it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Indy. And good night, little Barney. Grab your copy of American Marxism, folks. Read it. Embrace it. Spread the word. And have a wonderful weekend. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. And God bless you.